The steamer lurched away, the dock obscured by thick black cloud trailing from the funnel. Although the day was fair, soupy waves churned around the boat as it ploughed its way into the deeper waters of the gulf, up a long, curving coast of broad bays and high ridges. The young man slouched in his seat, eyes closed against the spray and the breeze, lulled into a half-sleep by the afternoon sun and the steamer's low drone. There was a shout from the stern. "'Man overboard!' The steamer, tilting in the swell, had tipped a passenger into the sea. He rose from his seat, pushing his way to the railing. He could see a dark head rolling like a marble in the waves, almost swallowed by the boat's wake. The steward, stout and bald, tugged at the buttons of a stiff surge uniform, preparing to jump in. "'Throw the poor bugger a rope!' someone called. He stepped forward and touched the steward's arm. "'I'm trained in this,' he said." and almost immediately unseen arms around him peeled his jacket back and tugged at his shoes, pushing him towards the railing. "'Give him room!' roared the steward. He clambered over the rails and dived from the narrow wooden ledge of the bobbing steamer. With carving strokes, he pushed his way through the water as though he were clearing bush. He swung his head to breathe and glimpsed in the water a dark crown tossed by lilting waves." Hooking the heavy, limp body with one arm, he began the long swim towards the faraway shape of the steamer. His outstretched arm finally brushed the boat's flanks and a line of willing hands hauled both men on board. The steward wrapped the young man in a blanket, clapping his shoulder and barking congratulations. Another man passed him a jolting sip of whiskey. By the time the boat turned into the small harbour of Errington, the man he'd saved was spluttering up seawater onto the planks of the lower deck. When the steamer tied up at the wharf, the story of the rescue slipped quickly from deck to dock. People who'd come only to load crates, collect goods or meet family members stayed to watch the doctor arrive and the wet hero disembark. His uncle, waiting in the crowd, lifted his bags onto the back of the wagon. On a hill above the cove, a young woman and a boy, both on horseback, paused at the widest point of the path. They watched a man carried off the steamer on a makeshift stretcher, and then a younger man in wet clothes climb off the boat and join the loitering crowd on the wharf. Everyone, it seemed, wanted to shake his hand. They turned their horses towards the wharf, rapidly picking their way down the hill. He was stepping up onto his uncle's wagon when they rode by. He saw a young woman on a horse, but it was hard to make out the precise edges of her form in the late afternoon sun. All he noticed that day was her broad brown face and the frizzy outline of her thick hair. She saw a young white man with a sunken pale face, blue eyes as clear as the shallows, his shirt and trousers and hair dripping with water. She thought he looked a strange sight. In the newspaper accounts of the time, there was some disagreement about the specific details of the rescue. One report claimed that the drowning man was rising to the surface for the first time. Another alleged that the drowning man had sunk three times and was insensible and that the water was shark-infested. The following year, the Humane Society presented the young man with a silver medal for the rescue. The Royal Life-Saving Association sent a long letter to apply for the medal on his behalf, explaining that he had risen from an operation only the week before the fateful trip on the SS Kawo. 
He was going away on holiday for health reasons that day, December 23, 1922. It was the eighth life, the letter stated, that he had saved. This was the story that Virginia Seaton told Margaret Dean O'Clair on a wet Friday afternoon in New Orleans not long after New Year's Day 1996. They sat in the vast front parlour of the Eau mansion on Coliseum Street, huddled over the carved Tibetan chest that doubled as a coffee table. Rivulets of melted candle wax formed a lumpy ridge along its ornate spine, on which a glass pitcher dripping with condensation was precariously balanced. Virginia was careful to keep her glass near the flat edge of the table. No names? asked Margaret. Virginia shuffled the papers on her lap. I didn't think they were important. Neither is the date, for that matter.